to Acts chapter 4, just as Annie read, verses 32 and into chapter 5. This morning, our sermon title is A Warning to the Church. A Warning to the Church. Yesterday, during Daniel's birthday party, we were talking about different warning signs. That in different places, you don't need those warning signs. They're just understood. One driving back and forth from Oklahoma to Kentucky is in Missouri. They always have the buckle up, right? We, if you've driven a car, you realize the danger of not having a seatbelt. Statistics show how dangerous it can be. And in Missouri, they go one step further to not just ask you to buckle up your seat, but they give you a ticker. They give you a count. Since January 1 of this year to now, how many people have died because they didn't wear their seatbelts? Whoa. A warning. Warnings are to be heeded for our good, for our safety, and our text this morning is no different. We see that in Ananias and Sapphira, it's written for the church to take heed to take heed of their conduct and to avoid it. This warning is not new. This warning is not something that we don't see other warnings uh, except for here in the Scripture. No, we see warnings all throughout Scripture. A couple warnings that come to mind of uh, previous sermon series that we've been in. Think of Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The reminder that as God places Adam and Eve in the garden... Everything is good. Everything is permissible except what? Except for one thing. He says, don't eat of the, tr- the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest on that day you will surely die. Before that, we were in John's gospel. In John chapter 6, verse 36, Jesus says that to the one who trusts in the Son has life, but the one who neglects the Son The wrath of God remains on him. A warning. Then later in the New Testament, the Hebrews warning passages, reminding the followers of God to, in one sense, in Hebrews chapter 5, to grow up. Don't stay in your spiritual infancy. Grow up. Then more broadly, and don't turn away from him. Don't turn away from Christ. No matter what you're going through, don't turn away from Him. The Scripture is full of warning. Think back again to Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot Lot receives a warning that God is going to send fire and brimstone and destruction to the city. He then saves Lot and his family, and he gives another warning. No one turn back. No one look back at the judgment and the devastation that will be caused. And his wife does not heed the warning. The text reads that she's turned into a pillar of salt. Friends, the Scripture is a warning that in our sin we will die apart from God. Warning. But it's not only a warning, it's a welcome. That there's hope 
that you could be with him, that you could be family with him through the spilt blood of his son. But the reminder is that apart from Christ, you will die in your sin. So we've seen the warning even in Acts. Repent and be baptized. Trust in Christ. A warning to the church. Luke recounts for us this warning in three progressions. He shows us this general example of how the kingdom of God through the church is to be situated. A general example of selflessness. Then secondly, we'll see a particular example of selflessness. And third and finally, we'll see a particular example of selfishness. Leading us to the main point of the text, that the kingdom of God is to be marked by selflessness, not selfishness. The kingdom of God is marked by selflessness, not selfishness. First, this general example. We've seen the Holy Spirit descend onto the people of God who've trusted in Christ. And He's doing incredible things through the apostles, through the church. And we've seen that in these miracles, that awe comes on all who see. And we see in Acts chapter 2, right after the Spirit indwells believers, that they had this same phrase in Acts chapter 4, all things in common. Eating meals together, fellowshipping together, focusing on the breaking of bread, the teaching of the apostles, and prayer. It's no different here that as the kingdom of God continues to go forward through this church, the kingdom is to be marked by selflessness. Here's the way that the church corporate shows this selflessness. We see that the full number, as Annie read, had all things in common. There was a unity. There was a unity as they worked together. The end of verse 32, one said that any of the things, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, let me be clear, this is not a socialist gospel. Luke, through Peter's words, will recount that there are still property values, property rights, uh, as we'll get into Ananias and Sapphira, but in the midst of their ownership, there's a selflessness in being able to have eyes to care for one another. Not simply a neighborly love, but a brotherly love and affection for those who are part of the family of God. That is what marked this new organism known as the church, which is so starkly different than what we see over and over and over again marking the people of God through Israel. Jesus condemns those leaders there in the temple for causing the, the house of prayer to become a den of robbers. One of the phrases that perhaps you're familiar with, known as fleecing the sheep, the priests of Israel utilized the people of God, those who were participating in temple worship, they used them for their own gain. 
this was to be unheard of in the people of God. And Luke, through the Apostle Peter, says this will be different. This will be different. The people of God will be marked just like their Savior by selflessness, not selfishness. They're not to look for a ROI, return on investment. No, they're to give selflessly to one another as any had need, and they do. Because of this, this conduct and the preaching of the word, the apostles with great power were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord. In Sunday school this morning, we heard that a life of faith is the greatest sermon that you can preach. A life of selflessness, a life of modeling your life around the principles and person and work of Jesus Christ is a great sermon. And it gives testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. We see that through this communal care for one another, there was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to each as any had need. A general example of selflessness in the community of God, this New Testament church. Example of selflessness. But Luke doesn't stop there. He goes and he, to put it in one sense, he magnifies it. He doesn't just want to keep it general that this should mark the people of God. He wants to give an example. He wants to give a positive example. So this particular example of selflessness through this man named Joseph. Look with me at verse 36. Thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There's a lot of information about this one individual in these two verses. We learn about his heritage, that he was a part of the Levites. We learn that he has a second name that the apostles didn't recognize him as Joseph. They called him Barnabas, which means, in case you don't know, son of encouragement. Luke wants to hone in on, he wants to magnify as a, a, a model, so to speak, of this is the kind of selflessness that the house of God ought to reflect. So he's a Levite. He goes by... Barnabas, he's a son of encouragement. He's a native of Cyprus. Not only that, but he sold a field. It belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the disciples' feet. This particular example Luke wants to hold up as a representative. Think about it. What was it that Joseph gave up? His property. 
Now, it's unclear as to if he owned additional property. Some commentators would say that this was Joseph's excess, that he was selling his vacation home, so to speak, giving the proceeds to those in the church as any had need. What if it wasn't of excess? What if we read the text very literally, and all we know is that Joseph has a field, and he sells it, and he gives the money so that the people of the church are not in need. He sees, I have something of value in my field. And there are people, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, that have need. I don't have those same needs, but what I do have, I'll give for their good. Selflessness. But in comparison to what Joseph gives, Christ gives so much more. He gives us so much more. We see that rarely would a person die for a just person or a good person, but Christ gives his very life for sinners. He doesn't just give of material goods. He gives of his very self. He gives himself on the cross, lays his life down, beaten, battered, bruised, blood shed for us. The price that Jesus pays is so much greater. And it follows that Joseph, recognizing the selflessness of Christ, would respond in kind. Now, Joseph didn't have Philippians chapter 2, but we do. And Philippians chapter 2 reminds us of this selflessness of Christ. If you want to, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Remember, this is Paul writing to the church there in Philippi. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Remember that kingdom of God is not to be marked by selfishness, but to be marked by selflessness. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, the price that Jesus paid is infinitely more valuable than that which Joseph pays for the good of his brothers. But grounded in the work of Christ, Joseph will not hold back. He will not hold back his generosity. The field is as if nothing to him for the sake of seeing his brother's needs met. We don't just see a general image of selflessness. We don't just see a particular image of selflessness. Luke turns in verse 1 of chapter 5 to a particular example 
of selfishness. Verse 36 and 37 hold up Joseph as a model citizen of the kingdom of God who selflessly and generously gives for the sake of his brothers. Verse 1 of chapter 5 starts with the infamous word, but. If we've got a good example on 36 and 37 and we start with a but, it's about to get bad. This particular example of selfishness. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain yours? And after it was sold, was it not in your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. What an awful pronouncement of the selfish heart of Ananias. And I think there's something deeper going on here. I don't think that it's merely that Ananias is bringing only a portion, though that is bad. He sees the needs of others, and yet he keeps back some of the proceeds. He ponders it in his heart what he ought to do. And again, he continues to keep back the proceeds. Unlike Joseph, we see that Ananias does not trust the Lord. He's not looking to the Lord. He's unfaithful in the way in which he seeks to provide for his brothers and his sisters because he doesn't value the provision of God in his life. Think about it. We've looked at this aspect a couple weeks in a row that God provides for us. God provides for our physical needs. God provides for our financial needs. God provides for our health. And most importantly, God provides salvation. Ananias neglects all of these things because he keeps it back for himself. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden take for themselves. Just like Achan in the Old Testament, he takes of the provision of the ransacked nation. Both bring judgment. Both bring with it awful consequences. So not only does Ananias not trust the Lord to provide his needs. He tries to keep this portion of it. But I think there's also something deeper here in the way in which Peter addresses him. Because he doesn't say, once you sold this, or the field is the Lord's. We read in our text last week, the earth is the Lord's and all that is therein. I come from the land of the land run. It's all the Lord's anyway. This field is not Ananias. This field's the Lord's. But that's not Peter's defense. Peter's defense is, what caused you to lie to the Holy Spirit in such a way? 
He's lacking the realization of God's provision on his life. And I think there's also a hidden reality that Ananias is bringing to the temple with the guys. This is 100% of the proceeds, everybody. Yeah, oh yeah, I sold my field. 90K, this is it. 90K right here while at the same time making a plan with his wife. I know we sold it for 120. But we can't trust the Lord with all that. But we'll give 90. And, and we'll just say that we sold the field for that much. But Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Not only does Ananias question the provision of God, not only does Ananias, I think, present this offering that is not in reality truthful, faithful, or trusting in God, he also neglects the fact of being in community with the people of God. Because what's the reality from chapter 4? That everyone had all things in common, and there was not a single person who was in need. Ananias in his heart doesn't believe that the people around him care about him enough to provide his needs. So he keeps it for himself. He provides this nest egg. And Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is not tricked. The wool is not pulled over his eyes. And so when Ananias heard this warning, heard this condemnation, verse 5, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. Then the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. God's judgment is always right. God's judgment is always right. Whether it be hard or whether it be unfathomable for us, God's judgment is always right. If we believe the Bible, if we believe God is who He says He is, God's judgment is always right. And in this sense, the judgment of Ananias for his sinful, foolish conduct, death was the cause. But it doesn't stop there because verse 7 continues because verse 1 reminds us that it was a plan between Ananias and his wife. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. This is why I think that there's a part of this provision that Ananias and Sapphira are not saying the accurate amount. They're saying, yeah, we sold it for 90000 mm -hmm. Again, sins to the Holy Spirit. But Peter, verse 9, said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down. And breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. This is the judgment of the Lord. I want us to think about Ananias and Sapphira. To this point, they're counted in those believers. They're clearly known by Peter. Perhaps they were of the 5,000 of those who trusted in Christ and were added to their number. Maybe perhaps they were of the 3,000. Whatever the case may be, Ananias and Sapphira to this point have been members of the people of God through faith in Christ. Seemingly. Yet at the same time, the judgment of their conduct is swift. It is sure. It is for a particular purpose in being able to warn the household of God that the kingdom of God as it goes forward through the New Testament church will be marked not by selfishness anymore, but by selflessness because we march by the beat of our Savior who didn't seek any of his own selfish gain, but laid his life down. In this case, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 is true. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin for Ananias and Sapphira is swift. It is death. And the truth is that our sin should be dealt likewise. But it hasn't. Mercy has been shown on us. If you're breathing, that's more than could be said of Ananias and Sapphira. Grace has been extended to all of us in a general way because we have breath in our lungs, but in a more specific sense, Grace has been extended to us in Christ that while the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, aren't you glad that we have a brother not like Ananias, but a brother who is Jesus, who did not withhold for himself his own field, who did not withhold his own life, but he gave it fully for us. The only justifying and atoning work. The only way for our sin to be forgiven, He gave it. He was it. But sin comes with grievous consequences. And so we have this warning. How do we walk out of here? If we know that the kingdom of God through the local church is to be marked by selflessness and not selfishness, how do we Walk. How are we to walk? First, trust in the Lord's provision. That's the difference between Joseph and Ananias and Sapphira. Joseph trusts in the provision of the Lord, that the Lord has given him the field, that the Lord has given him this community of believers to be able to protect his needs. And thirdly and finally, he's trusted the provision of salvation in Christ. Think about how ridiculous salvation in Christ sounds. 
Paul the Apostle even says it's foolishness to some. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved? Oh, what good news. If we can trust Jesus, is who He says He is, did what He said He did, atoning for our lives, the sin that is in our heart, if we can trust where the Bible says that salvation is in Him and Him alone, what can we not trust Him in? You think your salvation's not more than $30,000? Do you think your salvation's not worth more than $50,000? Friend, Jesus says, what does it profit the man if he gains the whole world? Trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, but he loses his own soul. Beloved, your salvation is worth infinitely more than any field. Trust in the Lord's provision of salvation and in everything else. If you've not trusted in the Lord, there's a warning. And there's a welcome. Don't die separated from Christ. He's ready to welcome you in. Trust in Him. Turn from your sin. That's the first way. To live selflessly is to trust in the Lord's provision. Secondly, practice humble selflessness within the body. Practice humble selflessness within the body. I think that's pretty ironic. Humble selflessness. Because when you're humble... You're not thinking of yourself. You're thinking of others. And when you're being selfless, you're typically humble. But I wanted to say it that particular way because we ought to practice humble selflessness within the body. The Lord says He rejects the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Joseph didn't come asking for any recognition, probably didn't even ask for a contribution statement, but no, He gave it for the good of others. Humble selflessness within the body. Ways that that could be manifest. Obviously, Joseph is a model of generosity. Giving of his for the good of others. You think of ways that you could be generous this week. Think of ways that you could be hospitable by having others in your home. By welcoming them, just as the Lord has welcomed us. Practice humble selflessness within the body. Thirdly and finally, walk as those who have received this warning. Walk as those who have received this warning. We see the response to this immediacy of the judgment on Ananias and Sapphira, that it causes the same thing both times. Verse 5 of chapter 5, And great fear came upon all who heard it. Verse 11, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Friends, your sin cannot stay hidden. 
Your sin cannot stay hidden. One reason being, it's not hidden even now. The sin of Ananias was known to the Lord before Ananias even graced the face of the earth. Think about that. God knew that. God knew this sin. And this instance, this encounter, this judgment is to be heard and received by all who watch to recognize, don't be like this. Walk as those who've received this warning, but also walk as those who have a better example than Joseph. Our takeaway is not, be like Joseph. Our takeaway is, be like Jesus. Trust in Him who models perfectly for us humility and selflessness on the cross. Man, that's our Savior. That's our friend who in the midst of warning gives us welcome. Friends, when it comes to the house of God and it comes to the kingdom of God and it comes to the church and it comes to our conduct as people who are under the headship and authority of Jesus, the stakes are very high. The stakes are very high because the stakes are God's glory. God's glory through the local church is what shows to the world the goodness of God. And Ananias and Sapphira threatened that. God is about His glory, that His name would be worshipped. And in the midst of that, the sin that is separate from God brings death. It may not be physical, as with Ananias and Sapphira, but friend, your sin will separate you from God. In this life, think of Adam and Eve. On that day, you will surely die. What did they do? They ate. They didn't die physically, but they were removed from the presence of God. What's worse? To be struck down physically as Ananias and Sapphira or to day by day be removed from the presence of God? Our answer should be neither. Trust in Christ and walk with Him. Trust in Christ. Turn from your sin. Walk with Him. Because the kingdom of God is marked by selflessness, not selfishness. Let's pray.